Welcome, welcome to the fourth episode of the Revolutionary Star for season two for the year 2020. My name is Super Cabral and I am broadcasting live and direct from Harare, Zimbabwe to the comfort of wherever you are right now in our global world. Welcome to the Revolutionary Star podcast. Today is Sunday the 14th of February 2020 and today we wish you all happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all the beautiful women out there in the world. We wish you more blessings and more success you are the ones that make this world keep going on and on especially those that are mothers we wish you a big and special happy valentine's day keep making them babies keep making them babies so having happy valentine's day falling on the 14th of february on a sunday we thought we would do something that applies with happy valentine's day we're going to talk about women but Specifically as revolutionaries, we are going to talk about women and women in Zimbabwean politics. Our women. What's going on with Zimbabwean women in politics, man? Why is this patriarchy killing us? It's killing us, man. This, the theme of this is going to be the PhD system in Zimbabwe. The pull her down syndrome, right? Amongst women and amongst the patriarchy that they're fighting against, which is the man. How they keep being used as chess pieces on a board and pawns. They're not the queens. They're not the rooks. They're not the bishops. They're the pawns. Anyway. That's what our topic is going to be today as we try and celebrate Happy Valentine's Day. As revolutionaries uh, distilled from the thoughts of Steve Biko, Amilcar Cabral, Thomas Sankara, Teure, we want women to be able to become feminist in a traditional manner. Tradition evolves, comrades. So as culture, we need to be able to allow women to also evolve in that traditional sense and become feminists in their own African way. Let them define who they are. So that's our topic today on a happy Valentine's Day. Where do we start? Well, in Zimbabwe, women have traditionally occupied subservient positions, usually. That's how usually it has happened. The minute you hit that Lobola button, she automatically becomes subservient in some fashion or, or other. And they, they allow this, uh, colonialization of their, their, their self due to, I guess, our culture and our tradition. So they end up becoming subservient to, uh, men in that relation. And this affects them socially, economically, and politically. We are going to concentrate on the political aspect of it because socially and economically, things are changing. Harare right now, as I'm speaking today, the 14th of February, 2020, is being run by women. Let's not get that wrong. If you're looking at it from an economic type of view or a social type of view, women have made great strides in Zimbabwe. We are talking about women right now are running Harare. Most of the go-getters, the hustlers, the entrepreneurs, the people who get respected are women in Harare as we speak right now. Most guys have got no problem working for a, a, a woman at all. And even that whole notion of marrying older women, that's gone, man. That's gone. Women are running things if you're looking from a social and economic point of view. However, if we go into politics, it's not so much. In Zimbabwe, women constitute about, let's say, 52 to 55% of the population. So basically, that means if I am a politician, 
my main demographic if I want to win my election. Wherever you are, whether you're a councillor, MP or a president, you're going to have to concentrate on women and youth vote, first and foremost. If you get the women and the youth vote, usually you're going to win. Right now, uh, no lie, statistically speaking, if you look at the survey um, as a whole, uh, Chamisa has the popularity vote, so he would win hands down if it was a situation where he's going for presidency and something like that, because he's got the women and the youth vote. However, as a party, MDC does not have the women and the youth vote. It's split. That's why ZANU-PF won the parliamentary election so handily. And the only thing that MDC could fight about was the presidential elections. So you see, there's a dichotomy. The political parties right now in Zimbabwe are sharing those votes, even though it doesn't look like that. But the votes are skewed uh, in different aspects. If you look at the parliament, ZANU got it. If you look at the uh, presidential, most people tend to think that uh, MDC has it. Right. That's up for debate. So in Zimbabwe, women constitute 50 percent, 52 to 55 percent of uh, the population. And many other advocacy groups have mentioned this. This is not coming out from uh, Super Cabral's mouth. You can go to a research and advocacy unit. I think they published a paper in 2012 where they also mentioned the same amount of uh, statistics. So let's take that 52%, right? That 52% means that there are about a quarter of a million more women voters than men. So given like, let's give our estimated uh, population right now in Zimbabwe, well, back around the last census, it was given around 13 million, right? Out of that 13 million, half of that population was under the age of 18 and couldn't vote. So we're looking at 2023 is going to be a youth vote pretty much. And with this coronavirus that we're in right now, uh, like the vote is swinging major towards MDC because the youth vote is turning out big time. So either they're going to be apathetic, uh, apolitical, or they're just descendants of ZANU-PF that are going to vote for him. But there hasn't been a lot of motivating and uh, mobilization that ZANU-PF has been doing towards the youth vote or the women vote compared to MDC where that is like uh, a lineage vote. They don't need to actually uh, vote for these uh, young kids because most of these young kids, their parents uh, indoctrinated them into the MDC type of thing. So it's not a vote that they have to fight for, unlike ZANU-PF. But I don't know if the think tanks out there, ZANU-PF know this, but yeah, get up, get, better be on your P's and Q's because the youth vote is going to be the one for 2023. This coronavirus is decimating when it comes to the older generation so back to what i was saying the few women that have made it to political office have had limited influence ever since 1980 and we're going to try and break it down as quickly as we can in a short amount of time so that we don't spend too much time on this and just use this as a reference track so what I said again, the few women that have made it to political office in Zimbabwe have had limited influence as compared to their male counterparts. This is a result of the politics of patronage that characterize most African countries like Zimbabwe. This is not unique to Zimbabwe alone. You can go to many other African countries. You can find this type of traits. Only those women favored by politically powerful males rise in political office. This applies to ZANU-PF, this applies to MDC, this applies to any political party you can think of. Women play a subservient role to the males. This is not a ZANU-PF thing. This is across the board. We can give various examples of ZANU-PF and MDC and any other party, even PDP, where this has applied. 
women are more ambivalent more frequently giving neutral don't know answers to questions and women are most likely not convinced to want to go and vote because they know that this is the situation they know that this is what's going on on the ground and they become ambivalent they become apathetic they know what it is so they're not really going to be as involved into it unless a male uh what is it a influences them to join and it takes them under their wing so the male patriarchy system is actually in bo- it, it, it cements this because women have become ambivalent it's like a chicken and egg situation women become more ambivalent men then try and force them to get into the politics by by becoming into the politics and being brought in by a man the woman ends up becoming subservient to the man and then completes and restarts that subservient role that we're talking about so this is pretty much what we've had ever since 1980 the constitution of zimbabwe on the other hand makes a firm commitment to gender equality it makes a firm commitment but this is the problem we have as african okay let's go back to the constitution of zimbabwe the constitution of zimbabwe makes a firm commitment to gender equality it calls for gender mainstreaming uh i think it's chapter 2 article 17 let me see if i can pull it up Uh yeah yeah chapter 2 article 17 indicates that the state must promote full gender balance in the Zimbabwean society and in particular the state must provide for the full participation of women in all spheres of the Zimbabwean society on the basis of equality with men that's our 2013 constitution well written as usual by Zimbabweans ah, when it comes to education and uh, theoretical bullshit ah, we are on point so perfect on paper perfect on the ground total tosh total bullshit this is not what's going on on the ground and we will continue but it, this is what our constitution says furthermore it states that the state shall take measures all measures needed including legislative measures to ensure that genders are equally represented in all institutions and agencies of the government at every level and women constitute at least half the membership of all commissions and other elective and appointed governmental bodies established by or under the constitution or any act of parliament and the state and all institutions and agencies of government at every level must take practical measures to ensure that women have access to resources including or land on the basis of equality with men and the state must take positive measures to rectify gender discrimination and imbalances well again very well written now on an economic point of view on a social point of view the government has been doing this let's not lie they have they really try and work to make sure that women are equally represented within all these uh, multifaceted uh, levels of government business and, and it's been trickling down into the corporate world as well this is why i said at the beginning of this podcast that on a social economic level women are on point women are really making moves when it comes uh, to Harare and Zimbabwe at large because government has tried on that but this does not apply to the power matrix when it comes to the political life just because you put somebody a uh, 50 50% in parliament doesn't mean that they are part of the power matrix in the way things get done in Zimbabwe no so women are still lacking big time when it comes to the political aspect of it. Other two aspects they're making great strides. I won't lie to you and it's now regular it's not even a big thing to see women being put in certain positions like I'm surprised we still haven't had a minister of finance who's a woman like let's give women a chance like that's pretty much I think a typical male aspect of view 
from Harare type people or Zimbabwean type people. It's not a big thing to see a woman in a high uh, position. We are ready for a woman president, to be honest. However, the power matrix doesn't allow that. Why is this? This is something that is pre-1980s Chimrenga, but we're going to start from 1980. So let's say during the first period, which was 1980 to 2008, the country, well, from the time the country gained its independence until the 2008 uh, big, you know what happened 2008, a lot of bullshit. So from that time, We've only had uh, very few women in power who made any great uh, extent. And most of the women who ended up being in powerful positions were being used as pawns by other people. So interesting dimension of them. I can give, for example, for instance, in the 1980s uh, to 1985, we had people like uh, Julia Zobgo, who was wife to Edson Zobgo. Uh, we had uh, Joyce Mujuru. We had Sabina Mugabe. We had Ruth Chinamano. All these women were subservient to some type of African elite leader and they were subservient to them. So out of all these women, the person I can actually talk about the most would be Joyce Mujuru. Joyce Mujuru ended up becoming vice president in Zimbabwe, but it was because she was being used as a pawn by Mugabe against ED so as to prop up and make sure that she could weaken up the Lacoste section of the group. That's how she rose. The minute that she rose and then she became a threat herself, they cut her down. And they guess what they did? They used another woman, Grace Mugabe, his own wife, to try and get rid of her. That's that PhD system that I'm talking about, that pull her down syndrome. Women have that. So if you see the way games are always played, the political gamesmanship of women always has fingerprints of men behind it it's never women just fighting women on their own no in zimbabwe there always has to be a man behind them like the chief uh, secretary or the advisor is a man behind that strong woman there's a man so at the end of the day she's a pawn to somebody else right and that feeds into the stereotypes that most of these women are either sleeping with uh, powerful men to get to the position that they're in or if she's married her man or her husband is a weak man. That's why she's allowed to go out into politics and, and you know, become a political leader because she, she just married a weak man. Unfortunately, that type of mentality still exists in politics. In politics, economically and socially, it's not that big a deal anymore. Most women, it's, I was shocked. If you go to the ghetto, you can see a man made by Chitoroa, super, but his wife is uh, by the flea market and she's the one who's the major breadwinner of the family. It's there. It's just that people don't realize that women are now considered breadwinner. A lot of them, I, I would say, if we're to do a percentage, 50% plus of breadwinners in Harare are women. So that just goes to show. So out of all these women, if I was to actually look from 1980 to 2008, the one woman who actually broke the mold of uh, not being beholden to a patriarchy system, which was based on male dominance from an African elite class that were based their elitism off of their liberation credentials would be Margaret Long. Margaret Dongo, so far from that period that I'm talking about, 1980 to 2008, is one of the few women who stood her own ground. She did what she had to do until other men actually ended up respecting her. Even though sometimes they didn't call her a, a prostitute, they would actually say that she was crazy. 
right? But it's always something. You always got to say something against a the woman. There's no way you can find a woman who gets to the top without her being called a, a hoe, a prostitute, crazy, a man, uh, a lesbian, something. So Margaret Dongo fit that uh, mold. And she and men usually don't go after women. They find another woman to go after the woman. And for Margaret Dongo, that was Vivian Washita. She was used by the establishment to go after uh, Margaret Dongo. This shit should be taught in school, man. So that's what it is. It's like a settler regime, a settler colonial system that men use against women. Because that's the same system that white people use against blacks. That's colonialism, that's slavery, that's all the Black Lives Matter that we talk about where you find Uncle Tom's to do your bidding. A white person will not attack a black person straight up. You look for another black person, assimilate him into the system and then send him back into the community to cause havoc. That's what men do to women. Women already have that inborn DNA structure in them where they pull each other down and then men just you know capitalize on that that's pretty much what they do and that capitalization on the pull it down syndrome uh shout out to mr chichitike he has a book that's called uh are you phd that's where we got this you go google that book for mr chichitike i'm not sure it's dr chichitike i'm not sure if it's a man or a woman apologies women uh, it could be a woman but it's dr chichitike pull it down syndrome so men Use that PhD system that women already have in their DNA structure, so he says. But I, I kind of believe it. And they use that to cement and, uh, you know, stabilize that patriarchy system that already exists. And then they say, oh, well, we haven't done anything wrong because, you know what, look at what we've done. We've made it 50-50%. Look, it's just like a person saying, oh, I have black friends. You know what? I'm not racist. I have black friends. Well, men do that too to women. Men do that too to women. But... In Zimbabwe, economically and socially, the laws that were legislated are working. You can see that the mentality is changing in the younger generation where it's not a big deal. If I, I've i seen guys and talked to guys who don't mind being the uh, the father at home, taking care of the kids, and the woman is a CEO at Delta or Coca-Cola or Econet or something like that. It's normal now. But in political type of situations no that's still very very unorthodox so even when men scheme to ouster this is margaret lombo who i'm talking about through unorthodox means they pitted her against vivian mashira she still fought back and she won so if we're looking from the 1980 to 2008 generation i would say that out of all the women who did anything that was substantive politically when we're looking at the political power matrix structure it was margaret lombo she held it down so she went on to form uh, Zimbabwe Union of Democrats. Uh, she broke new ground by becoming the first ever woman in post-independent Zimbabwe to lead a political party. Like, a lot of these things now are not talked about. But again, that's one person I got to give credo to on this uh, 14th of February. That if we are going to put a marker and say this is where women's movement started in Zimbabwe from a political uh, perspective or political ideology for empowerment for women it has to start at margaret longo's door i know we have a lot of liberation struggle women and all that more credit to them but we are looking at the political power matrix those who actually try to fight against the system right after her we go into gnu and around the gnu time we also got to give props to joyce mjuru even being considered 
as VP and having the balls to go as and pit herself against the VP against other men, even though she had a backing from other men. You got to give props to her for that. She had the backing of all the women's league in the ZANU PF uh, assembly, but still, Joyce Mujuru would be given props for that. Now, at the backdrop of me name dropping all these women who uh, I can uh, comfortably say are markers in Zimbabwe's uh, women's history when it comes to the political matrix, let's uh, let's put some color or some perspective into it. We've gone from 2008 and now we're going to fast forward now from 2008 to 2021. In that time period, I'm going to pick and choose where I'm going to talk about. So I'm going to start with the GNU because GNU makes MDC accomplices and complicit in this male patriarchy that I'm talking about. And I want to bring them in in 2013 because that's when they started assisting the government in ruling. I, I, do, I wouldn't say that they, 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 they are 100% uh, power sharing with the government. No, they assisted. Right? But still, they were involved. Now, GNU, under the inclusive government, women occupied eight eight seats out of the 50 cabinet posts that were available. Let me repeat this. Eight of the 50 cabinet posts went to women. That's 16%, right? 16% went to women. And remember what I told you about the statistics? It's worse 2013 because the statistics I was quoting are from 2012. So that means 2013, 16% of the cabinet posts were held by women. But the... Uh, election that had just been held 52% of the people who had voted in that election were women go figure right okay 30 of the 210 seats in parliament went to women 30 of 210 that is 14% so that means 14% of women were represented in parliament now 60 seats in the senate is where Dokawaka Kando so you are saying 33%. So the most majority of women that are found in the parliament for 2013 are in the Senate. And the Senate has 33%. Senate is like a rubber stamp. It really doesn't mean nothing. And it it's like affirmation. It's where you go to... It's your golden parachute. That's what the Senate is, pretty much. So that's where they threw all the women. It's like a thank you note given to people when they are getting into the... Uh, you know at the twilight of their years and you just want them to go off into the dark quietly that's what the senate is and that's where they were stacked 33 percent imagine so that means if we average out 16 14 and 33 you're looking at 17.9 percent of the senate and the house assembly plus cabinet posts represented women in 2013 that is crazy now fun fact copac only out of the people who were negotiating between MDC and ZANU PF, we only had one woman. One. Imagine that. One woman. I think it was, uh, was it? Spyro. I'll find out the name. Can't, I can't remember it right now. So, let's go back. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at about 17.9% of women represented within the Senate during, I mean, within the House, Senate, and the Cabinet posts in 2013. So, this is an election that just been held where 52% of the population that voted were women. 
this is what I'm trying to explain to you, comrades, that the patriarchy system exists. It's one thing to write on a piece of paper that we are going to give a 50-50 representation to women, but implementation of it is more difficult. Actually handing over the keys to the Mercedes-Benz or the Ferrari to a woman is difficult when it comes to power. We're not talking about money. Money, it's now accepted because women... I, I hate to sound chauvinistic, but they are maternalistic and they are caregivers. They end up, that money that they are given, they revert it back into the family. So it actually makes more sense to give women money because they actually return that investment into the family compared to a man. So the power situation now is different. Men are selfish. Let's just call a spade a spade. Now, in the actual implementation of 2013, the people who held power was Joyce Mujuru as vice president, Deputy Minister Tokozani Kupe, and uh, Home Affairs Co-Minister Teresa Makoni. Three people. Now, let's look at those three people. Teresa Makoni right now is MDC Alliance and she's she's right now fighting a battle against MDCT, but she's being used as a pawn as we speak 2021. Uh, Tokozani Kupe just got used by Douglas Munzora and she got uh, double moved and double checked in on the chessboard. But at the end of the day, you can tell she was used to end up propelling Douglas Monzora to becoming president of MDCT. No, I'm not saying this in a bad light, but it is what it is. She got used. Right. And she didn't realize it until then. Right. This is one of the founding members of the MDC Alliance. Before she got used by Douglas Manzora, she got uh, pummeled by uh, Nelson Chamisa when she was supposed to be the one who led MDC until they got to uh, General uh, Congress where a new president was supposed to be elected. But then she got outmaneuvered by Nelson Chamisa as well. Right. This is Tokozayim Kupu or Joyce Mujuru. We just mentioned her before. Joyce Mujuru was used, was propelled so as to be a blocker against E.D. Nangagwa. And then when that one ended up looking as if she now was becoming powerful, she also got axed and in her, by a woman, Grace Mugabe. And Grace Mugabe ended up apologizing for the way she treated Joyce Mujuru. So there you have it. Those are the three people during 2013 who were influential who actually had key strategic positions within the government and didn't do nada with them because they were just put there as placeholders, right? That narrative is there until now in 2021. Only difference now is that those women are now in the senator positions. That twilight situation I told you, they are new players in the game who are being put in those same positions. When I say new players, there's people that come to mind. Cecilia Chinembiri, uh, Joanna Mamombe, uh, Fadzai Mahiri. In the ZANU-PF uh, sector, we have the Betika Sekes. Uh, who else can we say besides Betty Kasek? Right now, who we actually see is upcoming is Betty Kasek. Those are the people I can mention right off the top of the end that are following that same power matrix and uh, elitist structure from the 1980s where they are, we have benefactors in which they fall under and that subservient man is that who pushes them to where they become. I think about power, but that power is only uh, contingent on whoever they support as the man. That's where, so if you see a woman in politics, you want to know who's behind it. It's very rare to see a woman standing on her own two feet, which is why I had to say that the marker started Margaret Dongo. Commit. The marker started Margaret Dongo. 
Each woman you see, you can see the man behind it. If that man falls, she falls. That's why Fazaima will. It's unfortunate she started on the right path and then allowed herself to be sucked into that same patriarchy system that is going to be her downfall if she's not careful. Because she had a following that was outside of MDC Alliance. But now it has been swallowed in and she is now uh, casting that same red light as what Nelson Chamisa and his crew will do. So if Nelson Chamisa falls, she may end up falling unless she can recast herself. But it's not her fault. She has two things. Besides the usual, she's a hoe or she slept with the this and she did with this. All the things which is not fair for a woman. She goes through those things. But besides that, there's that patriarchy system that still exists that she has to fight against. Now, add to all of this, there's that pull her down syndrome. Women destroy women. It's more difficult for a woman to prove her worth to another woman than it is for a woman to prove her worth to a man. A man may say a woman is a bitch, a hoe. Ah, I don't even like her. I heard she slept with this guy. I heard she did this. Ah, she's got bad morals. But when it comes to voting, that same man who called you a bitch will probably vote for that woman because he still, he sees that at the end of the day, can she deliver? That's not the same with women. Women have a higher bar when they look at other women in politics. So it's more difficult for women to rise because of that fact. And it's one of the reasons why they sometimes end up under a male figure so that they can propel themselves further up the food chain and they may likely be have been able to get it when they're on their own. That's something I cannot fix. Right now we're just trying to highlight how the ground looks like in Zimbabwe as we speak since it's Valentine's Day. So the political events that led us to where we are now is a situation where women have a long way to go. This PhD pull her down syndrome that I am talking about exists. The mechanisms of it are there. Whether or not you put quota systems in uh, representation, it won't change the fact that a culture has to change within women themselves first that leads into the greater body politic changing from a political type of point of view. This whole gender equity thing, whatever, NGOs, it won't work until women actually wake up themselves and try and change that narrative. Yes, the laws are now skewed in your favor, but it still needs women to wake up themselves and take charge. If a woman doesn't wake up in the morning and say, I want to be counselor, I'm going to start looking for my, my, my team right now. I need a strategist. I need a communications expert. I need, if a woman doesn't do that, don't expect a man to do that for you. The laws are in your favor, but you still need to do it on your own, right? And if anything from economics that, uh, if there's anything that uh, the economics in women has taught us, if you invest in a woman, you get more return for your buck. Same with politics. If you ret- if a woman is in a specific position, you get more return. But the problem that has happened due to the patriarchy system, the women in politics are handcuffed, right? So whether or not they want to return that same thing into their, into their uh, community is difficult because they are play a patronage game they are beholden to whoever the male figure in their in their lives are or their male political benefactor is so they can never make agendas policies or directives that truly reflect who they are as women usually the time when you see women actually voicing their concerns is when they've gone through shit that's when they end up saying you know what fuck it i'm just going to speak my mind truth to power i'll give you an example of uh please come for me 
you can google her up she was the former minister for social welfare and then she got a bad rap uh, apparently she got uh, she stole money or something there's a ceo involved this is a big scandal just google up the name you need to come up whether she's innocent or not that's not what this podcast is about the thing that i want to talk about is the political aspect of it she got thrown under the bus by her political friends her political allies and a political benefactor all of them threw her under the bus she spent some time in jail only when she went through hell is when she actually ended up realizing that you know what fuck this i'm gonna speak for women like as of 2021 she's one of the few women who actually is concerned about simple things like talking about sanitary pads women giving birth in uh, in prison and so forth right i'll give you another example when fazai maheri and uh, joanna mamombe and all these women go to jail the whole world speaks up against the violence and uh, gender abuse that they're going through because they're in jail but the minute a zanu pf woman goes to jail it's crickets the same time that joanna mamombe or was going to jail we had uh, rushwai was also uh, arrested for trying to smuggle gold N- not even a goddamn person said anything about that comment this is that pull her down syndrome where you don't realize that you're killing yourselves oh men are worried if I see uh, Job Sikala going to jail because he tweeted something that was inappropriate or it was wrong, but he still got locked up because it was illegal, I get worried as a male. Not because I support what Job Sikala is doing, but because I know in politics that it could affect me as well. That is the difference between men and women. Men can actually see how something may have a consequence in the future. This is an aspect that women with that PhD that I mentioned before need to discuss and figure out. If a woman is single, involved in politics and successful, the most common misconception is that she's used unscrupulous, mainly immoral means to get to the top. A married woman is said to be more honorable than one who is not married. So when a married woman runs for office, she is judged harshly. This is common. These are things that no constitution, no government, no nothing can fix. You have to actually fix that yourselves as women. Here at the Revolutionary Star, we believe in women. We believe that they are the future. We are of the Thomas Sankara School of Thought. Thomas Sankara was one of the few revolutionaries who believed that women had a right to be feminists. He was the first male feminist that Africa really truly had. And those are the things that we try and espouse at the revolutionary start. That these things cannot be done by yourself. The days for patriarchy is done. But women have to free themselves from those shackles themselves. Things such as Lobola, believe it or not, need to be abolished. Or at least re- evaluated in a way that does not encapsulate a woman into a patriarchal system that she enslaves herself and then blames the man yes we can blame men to a certain point but women are also supposed to be held to a higher standard so this is where we are at the revolutionary star we believe women should be able to be there in the political world we see the current women and the current stock of women that are going in in zanu pf currently right now uh, most of the up-and-coming women are quiet. Uh, the very volatile women, not volatile, but uh, v- uh, vocal women, are in, found in MDC Alliance and MDCT. That is where the new crop of women leaders are being seen. 
the ZANU-PF system is very much a patriarchal society. So the most vocal women will not become vocal unless their males allow them to be vocal. That's why a lot of the women that may be vocal are not known. Of course, we have the elders, the Opamuchunguris, uh, who have been in the game for years. But these are now elders, so we cannot mention them in these aspects and they'd always been they were, they are the classical uh powerful women who belong to a certain faction or a certain way of thinking that had male elites around them she's from the Togo Gara days so those women are powerful and very respected but we cannot align them as or put them in the same box as a Fadzai Mahere or a, a Margaret Longo because they belong to a team they play the political game like a, a soccer team with a captain and that captain usually is a male unlike the other women that i've mentioned who create their own things i'll give you an example again of betty kaseke betty kaseke is one of those who creates her own situations right there are a few but they cannot come to mind right now as we are speaking however we would like to continue this conversation we are of the sankarism uh sankarist thought which is that of feminism men should be feminists but we are of tough love if you want to get in the game get in the game patriarchy system exists and it is not going anywhere unless women themselves take charge and start dismantling it on an economic and a social level it's already happening in zimbabwe in harare uh, the people right now if i were to really look in harare who run harare uh media wise it may look like it's men but it's not it's actually women who run harare the socialized uh who are really influencers are women most of the things happening in harare right now in zimbabwe are have women behind it but that door gets shut once we get into politics which is a a, a shame a lot of men would actually be more successful if they allowed women to take charge and uh, run run the ball uh, while they're in the background. However, the African mentality, uh, the subjugation of the Western uh, concept of uh, democracy without understanding how to, uh, you know, give freedom to women is what we face here in Zimbabwe. So again, happy Valentine's Day. We love all women, wherever you are out there, comrades. This is the one day where it's not about you. Roses, your daughters, if they are there, spend time with them. The mothers, uh, your grandmothers, all those women, spend time with them. It's not their fault that they still have a lot of fighting to do. But the good thing to know when you give them roses today is that although their battle is still ongoing, when it comes to your battle as a man, they're always there 110% ready to go. That's the one thing that women have always been consistent. When it's time to fight for a man's fight, they're there. Pit bulls. But their own fight is still some time of uh, uh, self-reflection needed. So, happy Valentine's from the Revolutionary Star. This has been a reference track on the 14th of February. And we wish you all a happy Rose Day. This has been Super Cabral coming from Harare, Zimbabwe. Roger out.